Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's programme, the Black Cabs begin their official countdown to the Cricket World Cup and they welcome back Dan Vittori. What's going wrong with the Silver Ferns? We talked to former coach Yvonne Willering. They are so focused on not making mistakes that they're just not playing the game. The new All-Wides coach Anthony Hudson shakes things up in naming his latest squad. Can't be sentimental in this job. The All Blacks may no longer be the dream team for Pacific players, while former All Black Adam Thompson's back in Super Rugby. And where to now for heavyweight boxer Joseph Parker? Getting a bit bored. The former New Zealand cricket captain Dan Vittori is back in black. Vittori had his first taste of international cricket in more than a year when he turned out for a New Zealand eleven against Scotland at Lincoln this week. Vittori hasn't played international cricket since June last year and he spent the past year playing just 2020 cricket as he tries to get over persistent Achilles and back problems in a bid to play in next year's World Cup. The Black Caps' official World Cup countdown begins next week when they play South Africa in three one-dayers here in New Zealand. I spoke with Vittori about his return to the Black Cap environment. Happy is probably not a term I associate with, with my body these days, but uh, no, it was, it was nice to be back and, and get back into the swing of things. And in a relatively low-key environment, um, it was obviously an important game, but um, a lot of guys haven't played for a while, so just feeling their way through it in these next next couple of games will be the be the true test. It's putting those back-to-back games together, is it? That's sort of the, the big struggle for you, body-wise? Um, not necessarily. It's just, it's just getting back into things. So I've got to um, learn how to deal, deal with that. But uh, if you look at the schedule, it's, it's, it's not too bad. There's some decent breaks throughout it all. So uh, for me, it's more a case of actually just prove, proving my form and being able to get in there and, and try and contribute to the team. And, and the body does feel okay, though, does it? Uh, it's not too bad. It's, it's always the moving topic so I think um, I'll just take it just take it after every game and I think the more I play and the, the more I become um, conditioned uh, to bowling um, 10 overs hopefully the better it gets Through the game is it a case you, you feel as though you sort of limp through a game or and relieved to get the end of it or, or <laughs> you're looking for, for more than that I'm, I'm definitely looking for more than that. So, uh, look, I, I don't think I'm not going to judge too much up on the, on the first game or possibly even the second game. I know this is a it's a long way to go to the World Cup, and and I've got to um, a prove fitness, but I've also got to prove form and and and, and actually be a, a person who can um, who who can help the team win rather than just on, on past reputation. So, I suppose I want to take the focus off. My injuries um, and and put them onto form, so that, that that can be the discussion about how I'm bowling rather than how I'm feeling. And how was well? How is the, the ball coming out? Did you did you feel fresh? Did you or did you feel as though you were having to to go through sort of I suppose maybe not quite relearn things, but did it feel a, a wee bit foreign? 
no, not foreign. I think I've bowled enough over the last last little while um, to, to feel all right about it. But it's still it's ten overs, and so I haven't played a lot under the new rules. Um, so the, again, the feel factor for that, and 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 for everyone who hasn't played for the last sort of six or seven weeks, you, you sort of use that first game as as the way of um, gauging what you need to work on. So uh, I don't think many of us will judge our performances from the last one, but uh, over the next couple, that'll be the um, that'll be the deciding factor on, on how some of the forms go. Because you've sort of got to hit the ground running a wee bit, don't you? You've got uh, these sort of warm-up games and straight into it with South Africa. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I think um, the way that Mike Hesson and, and Brendan have, have planned it out is there's going to be a lot of lot of opportunities between now and before that World Cup's decided. So I think um, all the guys will get a chance to prove themselves. But w- with that comes the fact that you might not play every game. So you've got to make sure that, that, that when you do play, you can contribute. The World Cup, has it sat there as a lure for you? Uh, absolutely, I think. But I think I mentioned before that I've actually got to make the team and the only way I'm going to do that is by, by bowling well. So if, if I'm sort of concentrating on getting through to the World Cup, then I, then I might not be um, good enough to make it. So I've got to make sure that, that I do well in these, these next um, sort of eight to ten one days um, to be considered for that team. How difficult is it knowing that... I mean, your body may may let you down, despite the the mind being being willing. I mean, it, that's obviously something you've had to battle with over the last well couple of years, in particular, maybe. Uh, yeah, a little bit, but I think it's exciting just uh, uh, being back in the team and in the environment. So I try not to think about that and just concentrate on playing. What have you noticed about that environment coming back in, given the success that there has been in recent months? It's been good. It's, I mean, coming to a team that's been. Incredibly confident and and winning, so walking into that environment, it, it makes it uh, a lot easier, and you can just come in and do your thing and not not worry about anything else. South Africa, or I mean, they're obviously sort of up up right up there in those those rankings. So I mean, this is going to be be quite a an examination for for the for the Black Caps. What what are going to be the well, what is going to be among the keys to have some success against the Proteas? It's probably that that. Mm, top to middle order has been exceptional for a long time with Amalar and Tavilius C coming back into it um, so I think stopping those guys on the on the flattish wickets here will be the, the keys to our success because I assume they'll be relatively high scoring games with um, the wickets and the small small grounds so stopping those guys in particular will be, be the way forward I was talking with New Zealand cricketer Dan Vittori The Silver Ferns have closed to within one match of their worst ever losing streak to Australia. Australia's clean sweep of the four-test Constellation Cup netball competition this week means they've now beaten New Zealand in their last nine consecutive matches. Australia's certainly grabbed the psychological advantage ahead of the World Cup, which is now less than a year away. There's little time, too, for the Silver Ferns to patch things up with two tests against England soon but only two tests next year ahead of the August World Cup event. The former Silver Ferns coach, Yvonne Willering, who spent some time working with the team ahead of the final test in Auckland, says it's not time to panic, but she concedes there are concerns. 
certainly there are lessons learned, but, you know, there's no need to panic. I mean, I found it interesting that I think the focus will be very much on that last test, at least. It was different. Like, the sense work they did in that last test, it was about space marking, and they managed to slow the Australian attacks down, and they actually forced them in a lot of unforced errors, and, uh, you know, that augurs well. And also on attack, you know, we've been critical of them in the other three tests that they really were so hesitant to feed it into their shooters, you know, and the middies just lacked the total confidence. And I thought they showed far more confidence in, in, in that last test uh, than in the, in the previous three. A concern, though, that it took four tests before things did start to click? Yep, yeah, it is. But I think we do have a reliance on some of our key players. And why alluded to why Tamana alluded to it, you know, had they had Casey Kopua on in that last quarter, she might have brought them home. And we do have, have this reliance. Maria Tutaia, her absence is definitely felt. And I think that is with the New Zealand team. We hold on to players for a great length of time. And I'm not against that, you know, but the core of that team is the same. And once that's gone, you know, it's about who fills their shoes. Um, you know, and, and that's always the difficult option. And to go from straight from A and Z straight into playing a test match against Australia is a big ask. And uh, that's where Bailey Miss, you know, welcome to the real world. And same with Paka Hokitao. The midcourt there wasn't operating well for the first few tests. Was there or is there a concern? Are they reaching their use-by date? Yeah, that's interesting because some people said it was the midcourt and um, you know, and some of the coaching staff within the first day basically saying it was the shooters, and I think it's a combination. Um, and again, um, yeah, it, it's I don't know, maybe it, it's a situation whereby they're lacking the communication or they're they're just lacking the belief in each other. Um, no, I don't think they're past the use by date. I mean, you're looking at Rasmussen and Langman and Henry as the midcourt, you know, and I rate those players, but, you know, sometimes their, their play, yeah, has been below par, and uh, certainly Langman was the Langman of old where she was feeding the circle and she wasn't passing the ball back, you know, and they're saying, well, maybe we need a moving shooter rather than a station shooter, and that certainly is what Bailey Mess provided. But Catherine Latu, if you look at some of the previous games, you know, her shooting accuracy was great, but she just wasn't getting the ball. Now, you don't suddenly learn that, lose that quality to get the ball. And I guess that's what trainings are about and communication. And uh, that's something that the New Zealand has to look at. And I suppose video analysis come into that as well, because I believe that there were occasions when Catherine wasn't given the ball on the first second. And against a player like Kites, you can't hesitate. I suppose partly too might be the fact that that midcourt has set the bar quite high, haven't they? And when they are off their game, it's quite noticeable. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. We have this reliance on key players. And uh, yeah, and yeah, if they go down, the whole team tends to go down. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's it was a it was a collective a collective thing. And to be fair, you know, Australia played some pretty quality netball. Australia was was on a high, and you can say New Zealand's rebuilding. Uh, not I don't buy quite into that uh, because they've got some very experienced players out on court that really should have done the job and didn't. And uh, you know, maybe um, they just need a fresh approach. A fresh approach in what sense? 
just I think sometimes they may be overanalyzing. Uh, you know, they're very aware. Like they come out and they said, we just have to do our own jobs. And I don't agree with that. I think certainly they have a responsibility of performance out on court. But, you know, they also have that trust and belief in each other. Like at times, for instance, an example is like a shooter would go asking for the ball and it wasn't given to her. And those are the things that, um, you know, that they they really need to work on and uh, to restore that belief. And certainly, you know, they still were quite together uh, and the feeling in the camp was still quite strong even going to that last game and you've got to understand when you're winning it's so easy to be a collective team unit but you know on a loss or in this case a series of losses that's when the true team comes out and they certainly held it together but they are so focused at the moment I believe on not making mistakes that they're just not playing the game and I think they're just becoming over analytical. You obviously spent some time with them over the this past week what was the feeling you got just just generally on the, their general demeanour and how they are going? Yeah, no, actually, I was, I was pleasantly surprised because you know it's uh, it's it's always hard to take boy when you're wearing the silver fern and uh, the expectation is obviously that it's a win, you know. And now we're getting in a situation where the talk is, you know, how close can we get to Australia? We're not even expected to win, and that's hard because it's always been so competitive against them. Um, but yeah, we did we just did some work on 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 the space marking and and <clears throat> just to show you know if we can slow the Australians down that you know we have far more opportunities. And I think that they certainly stuck to those tasks you know, in, in that last game because I've never seen Australia in that last game, particularly in the first three quarters, make so many mistakes. England must fancy their chances given what they've seen. Yeah, um, but again, different ball game. Um, England plays a different style. And like... Had New Zealand, uh, again, uh, got beaten convincingly by Australia in that last test, yeah, I'd be worried, but I'd be more worried if we have these same sort of results against England. You know, I mean, the games have to be close, and the expectation is that New Zealand will win those, and I think the public expectation will be the same. So, yeah, there's pressure on uh, New Zealand to perform, but then that's the way it goes. You're wearing the silver fern. You you said there, don't don't panic, but we look ahead to the, the World Cup and there is only a couple of tests next year. Can you see a, a reversal of this? I suppose the, the, the benefit there is it comes down to a one-off match and things can go awry or they can go right or, or whatever. But on what you've seen, how hopeful are you? <laughs> well, if you look at it, realistically, I mean, Australia's going into the games uh, with great confidence. But, you know, we've still got a lot of games between now and then. Yes, there won't be that many international fixtures, but even in the ANZ, the lead-up to that, there'll be a lot of games. And as same at the World Champs, initially, there will be the warm-up games. I think our problem, and in a way, the Test Series has, well, has shown that up again, is that we do the development work. Everyone talks about having to develop players. We The regions develop players, no problems. But what happens is that we are not developing our elite players enough. You know, there's a big gap from A and Z through to um, to the Silver Ferns. And that's an area that now at least is being addressed because uh, the talk is now obviously having a New Zealand A uh, team in place. And I think that's needed. Only problem is they shouldn't just be used for training matches. They should be full-fledged, accountable matches for those players. And they just need to be put under a lot more pressure. And like in the past, we used to have a North-South game, which really was a step between provincial and ANZ as well. You know, whereas this year at the a, um, at the provincial, we had eight players named uh, as like the so-called tournament team, 
but nothing gets done with them. And I think that's an area that needs to be looked at because we certainly have lots of players coming through. They get all the right education. They get the sports science support. But really, it's about on the court, nailing it in crunch situations. I was talking to former Silver Ferns coach Yvonne Withering. The new All-Wides coach, Anthony Hudson, has shaken things up with the naming of his squad for international football friendlies against China and Thailand. There are two new caps on the side, junior All-Wides goalkeeper Oliver Sale and defender Jesse Edge, but missing a veteran goalkeeper Glenn Moss, defender Andrew Durante and midfielder Chris James. Defender Tommy Smith is also back in the fold, despite saying in August that he was taking a year out from the international game. Hudson maintains Glenn Moss's international career isn't over, and he's simply trying to find a genuine backup for Moss. He also told Alex Coogan-Reeves that he didn't put an ultimatum to Tommy Smith on a recent trip to Europe to visit all whites in their club environments. Before I went to England, you know, I didn't want to make any judgments. So I don't think I didn't think it was right to. Um, I wanted to go over there and, and speak to him and, and you know hear what he had to say and obviously let him know what we're doing and. Um, no, we had a good conversation and I'm really pleased, really pleased, really excited. He's a good player, he's going to help us and uh, really glad he's decided to come. Did you have to draw a line in the sand or make an ultimatum saying if you want to be part of this, looking towards the World Cup, you're going to have to play or did it not get to that? Listen, I, I've, I've not, there's no ultimatums. I've, I've, I think um, pretty much how I, how I am around the place is how I'm with the players. You know... Um, we, we've got to be in a position as a national team that players want to come here and want to be here. And we, you know, this is, you know, this is probably another topic for another day. But you know, all national teams all over the world have have difficult situations. I mean, you look at England now, having difficult situations with, you know, getting into positions of forcing players back, and we can't do that. We've got we've got now focus on ourselves and, and create a professional environment that players want to come enjoy coming here and, and want to be part of what we're doing. And that might, that's going to take a little bit of time, but that's where we need to get to. From what you saw in Uzbekistan, was it worse or is it a bigger task than what you've imagined? The situation is very clear. We've got some really good, exciting young players coming through. We've got some good, experienced players. We, we really do. Um, but we, for me, the, the team and, and how we are at the moment, we just feel we're disjointed. Um, we're disjointed in many different areas. And... Uh, we need we need a clear plan. We need to we need to create competition, um, and we need more time with the players. And about that creating competition, a lot was made of you searching for players that you yeah. might not have known about. Have you unearthed anything well, in that? Listen, there's players that have been mentioned to me, but uh, you know, like I've said from the start, listen, they've got to be players that are going to come in and help us. And they're not going to just you know bring any players for the sake of it. And they've got they've got to be players that are going to come here with the right motives and. Um, improve what we're doing, but you know. So at the moment, there's been plenty of names, but no, no one really that for me, uh, you know, is better than what we have and can come in and really improve us. So you're confident that you are aware of and tracking all the top players yeah. that are available. Yeah, but it's going to take time. Listen, you know, there's certain national teams that actually hire specialists in 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 hereditary, and you know, if, you know, people that just actually use their time to study. 
these things and uh, you know but we don't have the resources to be able to do that so it's going to take time it's going to take keep talking to the media and keep letting people know what we're doing and, and maybe along the way we, we do find someone that, that can come in and help us who has a connection to, to New Zealand this is nothing new in international football we've seen they've had to make some hard decisions with Moss and uh, Durante and also a new assistant coach and Neil Emblem missing out how is that sort of making those calls Difficult, you know, these calls are never easy, um, and it was difficult to have the conversations. And especially with Neil last night, it's probably one of the worst, most difficult conversations I think I've ever had. You know, my time as a coach, um, you know, because I've really grown very close to Neil, and uh, he's a good man. And uh, but, you know, I, have, I I can't be emotional around uh, decisions. I, I, you know, I, you know, I think I've said it before. I, you can't be sentimental in this job. You can't. I can't be sentimental with players. I can't be sentimental around staff. You know, we're here. To, we're here to improve the national team. Is um, with Neil having sort of given so much and sort yeah. of helping you so much? Is there still room for him to remain somewhere around the system? Listen, I, th- I think what we need to do, what we're driving for, is to all our coaches to have you know f- fully qualified, and and that's something that I know the federation are going to help Neil with to to, to go on and get his licences. Um, and, and hopefully by the time he gets that, gets that, you know, we might be in a different position then. That's all wise coach Anthony Hudson talking to Alex Coogan-Reeves. The former All Blacks lose forward Adam Thompson's returning to Super Rugby. Thompson, who made his All Blacks debut in 2008 and earned 29 caps, including two at the 2011 Rugby World Cup, has been playing in Japan for the past two seasons, but has signed on with the Queensland Reds for 2015. He made his Super Rugby debut in 2006 for the Highlanders and went on to play 68 games for them before moving to the Japanese top league side, the Cannon Eagles, last year. Adam Thompson told me that when he left New Zealand, he thought the Super Rugby days were over. It wasn't really something I thought about at the time. I just uh, was excited about moving offshore and, and trying something new. But up to two years of um, Japanese rugby and you know having a a really good break and getting the body right again. I got the edge to play top of the rugby and um, you know, the Reds is the opportunity. The the body is in a, a better space, is it? Yeah, it's in a really good space, actually. Just having a five-month pre-season before uh, the competition starts is, is huge, I think. To put that in perspective, we're looking at six- to eight-week pre-season back home and it's coming off the back of probably two or three campaigns. And uh, you know, to do that here, have the five months to, and to get yourself right in terms of injuries and you know, strength, speed, and, and the body all right. And then um, you know, to play a rugby that's not as physically demanding back home, it's, it's putting in a good space. How different did you find the Japan game? How best to, to explain, I guess. It's a, you know, it's a lot like um, playing a big game of sevens. You know, they, they tend to chuck the ball around and, and have a crack from anywhere. And um, I guess the ambition at times um, sort of outdoes the skill level. And, uh, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of breaks set piece and, at times and, um, and the physicality is not there they tend to tackle really low and um, you know, clean you up around the legs rather than the big shots up high so um, there's, there's a lot of differences to the way that's played back home And the Queensland Reds what's what's attracted you to them? The, the overall package is for me playing Japanese rugby and then getting the opportunity to play super you know, it gives me the opportunity to um, to go back and forth um, between seasons and you know to um, either back to Japan or looking over to UK France uh, now, if I sign with the New Zealand team, I'd have to commit for a full year, which means um, you know, 
being an NPC team as well. And, and at this stage of my career, um, you know, I'm really enjoying this, the travel and, and being in different countries and meeting new people and then seeing how different um, you know, different countries uh, play the game. So uh, that was that was one part, I guess. Being in Brisbane is another. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful part of the world, and we've never uh, never lived in, uh, in Australia before. So having a, a decent chance to get around there is, is really important. And, I guess a major factor is, is the Reds themselves. You know, they're a team that I've always admired and respected in the way they play the game. They, they play a great brand of rugby, an attacking game of rugby, which um, you know, I feel my game suits. And you just have to look at the you know, the names they've got down on the paper there with um, you know, the signings of you know, Carmichael Hunt and Connor and, and, and some pretty exciting, exciting players. So um, I want to be amongst that. And they've had one or two New Zealand loose forwards there before. Yeah, I have. Um, I guess Daniel Braid's the name one that sticks out, and a former All Black who um, he, he took his opportunity there and, and played really well. And, and um, you know, that's just that sort of set the benchmark up and, and do something, something similar to that. Did you have any offers to return to New Zealand? Nothing solid. You know, I had um, I was in talks with uh, through my agency about it, but um, in saying that, like I said before, uh, one of the deciding factors was New Zealand Rugby Union. Um, uh, maxing it that uh, it had to be a full year contract and, and for me in, in the situation I am now I, I wasn't prepared to do that And the lure of, of a possible World Cup spot in the All Black squad you've, that sort of boat has sailed as far as you're concerned? Yeah I think you know, I'm happy with what I've achieved in the All Black jersey and um, you know, looking at the team now it's, it's a pretty special team and there's a lot of competition there so for me to put uh, I guess a lot, of, a lot of stock into that was, was not a, a high priority I guess if I played for a New Zealand team and there was an opportunity to be in the All Blacks again, um, that was something that, that that would have been great. But um, again, it wasn't a priority around uh, what I was looking to accomplish in my career, and, and you know, effectively, um, New Zealand teams were ruled out. And the Japanese lifestyle that agrees with you? Yeah, it does. You know, it's very different to, to what we're used to. Obviously, it's a whole different culture and the way they go about things. But um, you know, that's the exciting thing about. Uh, the stage of my career is that these opportunities are available and you know, I get to still play the game that I love and, and at the same time I'm experiencing uh, different countries, different people and, and uh, it's all exciting and new and, and you know, it's, it's a great um, opportunity and it's a real privilege to be, be doing it at this stage. Is there anything about it that you've particularly embraced? Yeah, I love Japan. I think for me what I wasn't expecting was the passion that they have for rugby. Um, you know, they really love the game and, and they... Uh, you know, they've got a real uh, drive to learn and to get better. And, um, you know, I've been coming to Japan as a New Zealand university player for well, probably almost 10 years ago now. And, and from when I first got here, I think we were a pretty social team and we ended up playing university teams and putting 100 points on them pretty easily. And um, you know, by the by the, the last time I travelled here, uh, we were beaten by one of the university teams. So the rugby's come a long way. They're... they're you know, like I said, extremely passionate about it. They've got some big uh, big things coming up with their new super expansion team and, and the World Cup coming up soon. So um, things are on the move here, and um, you know, it's great to be a part of, uh, of something like that. And how's your Japanese? My Japanese is terrible, unfortunately. Uh, I can get by and then order a couple of beers and a bit of food, but um, yeah, I should probably be putting a little bit extra, extra into those studies. I was talking to the former All Black Blues forward Adam Thompson, who's returning to Super Rugby to play for the Queensland Reds. The lure of the All Blacks for Pacific Island players based in New Zealand may be waning. The Tonga coach Mana Otai says more players are considering representing their nation of heritage 
rather than hoping to get the opportunity to pull on an all-black jersey. The Chiefs prop and former all-black training camp member Ben Tamiafuna has committed to representing Tonga and he's been named in the squad for next month's European tour. Otai, who played for Manawatu in North Harbour, says he may not be the last player to make such a move, with players noticing a worrying trend when it comes to playing for the All Blacks. Ben is, is a, a real Tonga at heart, and, and um, I can only talk about the current situation. He has chosen Tonga to play for Tonga, and, and I think for us, that's, that's a big, big acquisition for our team for Tonga. And I think Ben would also help open up uh, other possibilities for other players who are still thinking about, you know, I think if you go back 10 years ago, things were different. We hardly had international games and things like that. But nowadays, regardless of who you play for, you're bound to get a lot of international games and stuff like that. So the other side of the factor is Tongan players or island players are starting to see trends also where island players have been used for one test and left the side. And now they are playing in Europe but love to play. I mean, Simon Etaumoipeau is an example. He had a few tests for the All Blacks and every time we turn up overseas, you can't help but see his his face and his expression, how much he would love to, to play Test rugby or international rugby, and it's quite sad for someone of that calibre not to play international rugby anymore because of what had happened. I think this helps other players look at their aspirations. Okay, it's it's great to play for the All Blacks. What's the possibility of playing until 2019? Is it is it something that can be that they can do? So they're also looking at that possibility as well. And once you play Test rugby for one of the island teams, you are opening up other doors to play professional rugby overseas and still be able to play Test rugby for your country. So that's that's something that some of these guys are also considering as well, looking at current trends. I mean, Frank Halley, for example, he's been up there. Now he's not, not there, but I mean, who knows? He, he might pick up his form again and, and play again. Sevens players that have had one game and constantly playing professional rugby out there and they're no longer playing test rugby. But I believe they are good enough to play test rugby. So it's that sort of things that are starting to, to be known to island players, especially Tongans anyway. I can only speak for the Tongans. That they're starting to see long term. That's the Tonga coach, Mana Otai. The New Zealand heavyweight boxer Joseph Parker accounted for Sherman Williams by a unanimous points decision in their bout in Auckland this week. The win means that Parker retains his Pan-Asian Boxing Association and WBO Oriental heavyweight titles, and he takes his record to 11 victories from 11 fights. Shortly after the fight, the 42-year-old Williams, who's from the Bahamas, called for a rematch as he felt the decision was ridiculous. The 22-year-old Parker dominated the 10 rounds but failed to land the knockout punch that he wanted. But he's dismissing any talk of a rematch. My fitness was uh, great. I was in great shape. And um, and Sherman was a tough guy. His chin is solid. And uh, I learned a lot fighting Sherman. And um, I know I'm going to improve from this fight. You know, he uh, gave me the rounds that I needed. And I tried to get him with a good punch and knock him out. But he's definitely tough. And, you know, I was uh, a bit uh, too cautious maybe in the beginning. Kevin told me to work the body from the start, but I was a bit too cautious. And uh, he's got some tricks, you know, his, um, his movement sort of stopped me and paused me. Hit me off the bow, stood on my, uh, my foot, um, sort of did a lot of different tricks. They sort of paused me and uh, um, led with his head a few times. That's why I pushed him down and he kept complaining. But, you know, he, um, he thought he won the fight. I thought that I won the fight. I, um, I, I thought that I, I outboxed him and you know, I was sort of fighting smart. But he, he caught me a few times and he got some, he got some good power. How uh, frustrating later in the fight was all the holding that was going on? I should have you know, did what Kevin said and, and not let him hold. 
and I'm you no know, step to the side and punch him with the, you know, the workouts that we've been doing and the skills and things that I've been learning. But um, you no, know, no, a very tricky opponent, and uh, he, he knows he's been in the game for a long time, so uh, he used all his tricks against me, and I uh, he, he paused me a lot of times in the fight. He was talking rematch. Is that something you're even interested in? Nah, no, um. I'll leave it up to the promoters and you know, we'll sit down and talk as a team after this fight and discuss uh, what we're going to do going forward. I think we already um, they proved that we are box chairman. Maybe I don't know if he's just not trying to put on the show. They're calling me out again, but um, no, I, I gave him 10 rounds to try and knock me out and he, and he couldn't knock me out. And I didn't knock him out as well, so I'm um, just uh, grateful we came out of this fight you know, safe. Do you think 100 to 90 was fair? I thought it was fair. I know he clipped me a few times, but I think I outboxed him. So... Um, no, that's not my job to judge the fight. I know that I did well, but it's, uh, I left it to the judges and, and you know, they came off the, the score. So it's not up to us. Now our job is to box, you know, train and box, and um, their job is to judge the fight. How much confidence do you take going 10 rounds now and, and not really blowing at the end of it either? No, um, like I said before, you know, everyone t- uh, sort of doubted that I could go 10 rounds because um, you know, the fight, fights have been stopped early. But I've done the hard work in the gym. I know that I can go 10, 12 rounds. Um, uh, I felt fit and strong. And um, maybe I still got a lot to learn. Maybe, uh, sort of faded away a little bit. Maybe uh, getting a bit bored because I couldn't knock him out. But uh, you know, I'm still learning. And I know with the next fight, I'll just keep improving. Who would you have in mind? Is there anyone out there who you want to take on? I know I'm keen to fight anyone that wants to fight me. Um, I know they want to. We, we've uh, sort of looked for an opponent for the next fight, and no one um, has come to to mind yet to fight. So. We're just going to, after this, we're going to sit down and before I leave back to Vegas, decide on who we're going to fight in December. But it's just a team decision. And um, now I'm ready to fight anyone. I feel fit and strong. And I know that if I go into camp again and train as hard as I did for every other camp, that we'll be ready for anyone. How does that make you feel, though, that, that people are maybe running from you already? Uh, I don't think that people are running. I think they're all, a lot of them are busy and all of them are already scheduled to fight again. And um, a lot of them are, no, don't want to fight. So it just uh, means that we're doing uh, the right thing taking the right steps to get there and we're, we're taking the right fights at the right time. Now talking about a world title fight in two years, you think two years you'll be fighting for the world title? Yeah, at the schedule they're going at now, I feel uh, I feel happy, you know. We are taking the right fights and I think that uh, if we keep training hard, keep developing my skills and techniques, that I'll in two years' time I can be a better beast than I am now. That's heavyweight New Zealand boxer Joseph Parker. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. And you can also follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.